you're here, we want to say welcome and uh, I hope you've been having a great week. This is the start of a new week, but we hope you enjoyed last week and uh, that you didn't stay up too late on Friday night watching the Olympics. I'll be watching you during the message today, seeing that you're falling off to sleep. But uh, it's, it's great to be together this morning. It's great to be here in the midst of all the rain where it's been raining a lot and we just uh, keep praying for more and more of that rain. And um, it's, it's just wonderful to be in God's house this morning. If you're brand new here, we just want to say welcome to you. It's so uh, great that you're here and we just hope you feel at home. We hope that you understand the things that you hear this morning and we hope that you're able to in some way respond to God during the service. If you're a regular, it's just so great that you're here too. And we just hope that together as we come with open hearts that God would speak afresh to us and he'd breathe his life-giving spirit into our lives so that we can love each other more and love God more as well. It's great that you're here. I want to let you know um, this today, uh, Ross Rowlings is actually going into hospital. He's having major surgery today. They're removing his uh, uh, kidney from his right kidney. And uh, so he's going to be, he's going in today. He'll be operated tomorrow. He'll be spending a couple of days in intensive care and then the rest of the week in hospital. So uh, we just value your prayers with him. And if we could all lift up our prayers to him this week, it would be great. We'll pray for him in in a moment. Um, Also, too, um, we want to let you know that this afternoon, there's just a great opportunity to see a fantastic movie. Um, It's called The End of the Spear. And it's a a movie which portrays the missionaries, uh, Nate Saint, Ed McCulley, Pete Fleming, Roger Yundereen and Jim Elliott. And uh, it's it's really an incredible movie. It's on just this afternoon and $12 each of the tickets and $2.50 of that goes to, you know, helping uh, CRE teachers and helping them in their work as well. So if you can go to Albury, uh, Regent Cinema, this afternoon at 2 p.m., the end of the spear. That would be a great thing to see. Also want to let you know that Gail and Warren are away on holidays. Gail just does a, a wonderful, wonderful job as a pastor, one of the pastors of the church, and we're just um, are so thrilled that they're able to take a few weeks away where they're in Vietnam and also in Cambodia as well. So we'll be keeping them in our prayers as well. We're going to pray in just a moment, but before we do, why don't you just check out this announcement of an important coming, upcoming event. And Janita Crow have a new little baby girl, Eleanor Ruth, and so that's uh, their fourth child for them. Oh, and Janita and Robert are here now with her as well. Why don't you, can you just stand or is that going to wake her up? <laughs> Congratulations. Great stuff, you guys. Wonderful. Um, If you will turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy, and we'll be reading from chapter 1 and verses uh, 3 to 11 this morning. 1 Timothy, chapter 1 and verses 3 to 11. And the series that we're looking at um, this morning is you know, how to thrive in challenging times, how a church can thrive in challenging times, how, a, how you can thrive in challenging times. And as we come to this passage today, we'll be asking that question. And just before we read it, I want to just point you to the blue cards. 
you know, uh, we'd love you to just fill one of these out today when you get a chance during the service, and it'd be great for you to respond, and later on when our offering's taken up, we'll just be collecting those as well. So if you're new especially, just uh, fill one of those in, that would be great. Now we come to 1 Timothy, and chapter 1, and verses 3 to 11. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, and a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They would want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, fathers or mothers, for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, but, and, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. So as we look at that this morning, we pray that God would open our eyes and speak to us and that we would learn how to really thrive in challenging times. Why don't we pray this morning, church? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this day where we can come together uh, to church this morning. And as your people gather here and lift up our hearts and our minds in praise and worship to you, God, we're reminded that this is what we were created for, to love you and to praise you, the one who created us. So God, as we come, we want to lift up our hearts in worship and say thank you. Thank you for loving us and for sending your son to die for us so that we can be forgiven. Thank you for rising, that Jesus rose again and that the power that he showed in rising from the dead conquered sin, conquered death, and now we can live our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit because you, Jesus, have died and rose again. God, we thank you for the hope that we have, not just for this life, but for eternity because of what you have done for us in forgiving us and giving us new life. God, we come as those that are very thankful, very thankful for all that you have done. And God, we we thank you for those in the past who have been even willing to risk their lives for this gospel, who've been willing to risk their lives to take this message to people that don't know you. Lord, we thank you for people like Jim Elliott, who died taking this message to tribes that, that were cannibals, God, we thank you for those today who are in Beijing seeking to give out Bibles at the Olympics, uh, risking their lives. And God, we thank you for people that are in 
Malawi now, often facing the risk of things like malaria and other challenges and diseases. God, this gospel, this good news, is worth us giving everything to, ourselves, our, our lives. You have saved us. We are thankful. Others need to know this. God, help us today to be praying and looking for opportunities to tell others and to share others this wonderful, glorious news that you, God, sent your Son and that in him is life. God, we want to pray today for Ross as he goes into hospital. Lord, we ask that you would give him peace as he goes in. Lord, we pray that you'd give the surgeons skill as they operate. And Lord, we pray that you would protect him and bring him healing too uh, this week. Pray that the operation would be a success. Lord, in all of this, we pray that Ross would keep his eyes fixed firmly on you. Thank you for his faith in you. We commit him to your care. Lord, we rejoice in the birth of Eleanor and we thank you so much for the blessing that she will be to the Crow family. We just ask for your uh, strength as, as they continue to seek to be parents that honour you in every way as they bring this new child uh, up. Thank you, God. And God, for us, we are those that so much need your word to speak to us. We need to know your truth. We need to know it uh, as you gave it to us in your word. We need to live it in our lives. And God, help us today to be open and honest with ourselves, to know what in our lives is not of your word, to, to know the untruths that might live in our belief systems and in our thoughts, so that we might actually live in a way that is according to your word and your truth, so that people might not see our knowledge, but experience our love and that we might be able to show others how much we love them because we understand the truth that you love us and sent your son to die for us. Oh God, open the eyes of our hearts. God, would you continue to speak to us today as we worship you? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think, I think you'll agree with me uh, that most people who know anything about um, you know, achieving anything significant in their life, there is a, an important principle. And what it is, is that when people get distracted from what's most important, they can actually miss out achieving the goal that they set out to achieve in the first place. Do you know, do you think that's true in life? I mean, I, as I was watching the Olympics opening, you know, they said about one team, you know, I think it was the Australian team, they said, look, there's actually 450 athletes, but actually on the track tonight, as they walked in, there was only something like 230 of them because the rest were not there. They were, had events coming up soon. I started to think about that, what it would be like to be an athlete in Beijing. And I imagine, you know, what it would be like, someone who would be training 
for an event and spending months and months in training and then think, hang on, scheduling doesn't really work. I'm going to miss the opening ceremony. And my thing is the next time. But boy, the opening ceremony is going to supposed to be one of the best in the whole of history. And maybe if I go to the opening ceremony, I'll get to see the opening ceremony and they get sidetracked on what's the most important thing and they end up enjoying the opening ceremony and get on the telly and everything and get interviewed and then the next day they fail their event. It would be a tragedy, wouldn't it? I don't think that's happened yet. Anyone heard that happening yet? But I think that often happens when people know what they need to do to achieve something very significant in their life, but get sidetracked, they can miss the very thing that they were you know, planning to do, the very goal that they had in mind. I've noticed that that can happen with people. You know, many people have a, a goal that they would have a nice, get a, get a job so that they can have a nice home where they can provide for their family and meet their needs of food and clothing. And so people say, I'm going to go and get a job that will help me get an income that will support the purchasing or deposit for a home that will provide for my wife and kids or my husband and kids or whatever it is. And I'm going to go and do that. But what can happen along the way is the job that they pick can become more and more demanding and the job can actually become the goal. And they can stay long hours and working hard and then they realise that the increase in responsibility and monies will get them a bigger house and a better uh, time, but it's less time with the family. And eventually, sometimes people find themselves without a family, but with a very good job and can get a big house, but they don't have a family to enjoy it. And the goal in the first place was to find a home where they could feel secure and safe and love their family and support them. I think this happens in, with students studying. Some of you have done exams before. And sometimes you can be studying for an exam and the goal is to pass the exam well so that you can go on into your career and, and, and work there. But as you're studying away, you get to one, one week away and you've been studying a lot and you're getting bleary-eyed and you're getting tired. And this strange thing happens, I don't know whether it's just me, but other studiers find this too, where you'll be going along and you'll read something which is not going to be on the exam at all, but it grabs your attention. And somehow, something weird within us makes us really interested and focuses on this side issue where we spend a lot of time studying on that when we know full well there's not a chance it's going to be on the essay, but it's on the exam, but it's a welcome distraction and we feel like we've been doing lots of things there and we spend hours on something fooling ourselves that it's noble and it's good, but knowing full well it's never going to be on the exam. Has anyone experienced that at all? Maybe yet. Yeah, good. I'm glad I'm not the only weird one here. This happened to me at Bible college. I was going for an exam and I felt I'm going really well. But, you know, you can feel like you're not achieving anything when you're studying for an exam. So you know what I got suddenly really convicted of? Bible verse memorisation. <laughs> right in the midst of preparation, preparing for an exam. And so I set about diligently remembering Psalm 139 because memorisation of Scripture is important. Didn't do too well on my exam, mind you. But I had a goal... And I got sidetracked 
and I got taken away from the main thing and it affected my marks. What do you think is the main thing? I mean, as a Christian, or even if you're not a Christian, if you're here this morning and you're starting to think, what is the main thing that I should focus on? What is the most important thing that I should do with my life? Out of all the things that I could spend my time working on or thinking through or or wrestling with, what is the, the main thing? I wonder if you've ever asked that yourself. Because if you haven't asked it or wrestled with it, do you know what the danger is, don't you? You could spend time with a lot of other things that might be good and okay and good in and of themselves, but miss what God actually created you for and put you on this earth for. I wonder if you've ever thought about what the main thing is. Well, thankfully... Uh, it's right in the scriptures what the main thing is for us. Because uh, Jesus was actually asked, you know, what is the most important thing? What is the most important thing you can do? And Jesus, you know, he didn't go, well, there's about 150,000 things you need to know and learn those rules and then you've got to do it. He just summed it up like this. He said, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul And with all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So if there's one thing God wants you to do with your life, it's to love. To love. To love God with all your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbour. That's why we come each week, isn't it? Because when we sing, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, or blessed are those who dwell in your house, or as we lift up our voices and praise, we're saying, I love you, God. I worship you. I love you. And we're doing the very important thing that God said we should do. We do that all the week as we praise him, not just here on Sunday. And then, loving your neighbour as yourself, loving every other person you can. Those two things are great things. One thing, love. Love God, love your neighbour. And so the question is, how are you doing with that? I mean, how's it going? Would people sort of talking about you say, Gee, that person really loves God. Gee, they really love people too. Would they be able to kind of, you know, list a few things that were kind of really loving about you? Would they be able to say, we know that they love because of this and because of that? If we're to say, how are we to grow as Christians? How are we to thrive as Christians? How does God want us to do it? Well, it's, it's by loving God and loving others. That's what he wants us to do. Sounds easy, doesn't it? But often things can stop us 
And often things can get us sidetracked down different ways and off the track and, and get us moving along different roads. And you know, if that's your situation today, if when I say how you're going with the loving God and loving others things, you, you know, today's passage is kind of right for you. Because this is exactly what was happening in 1 Timothy. They had sort of were in great, great danger. Remember last week we talked about drastic times called for drastic measures. And things were getting to crisis point when Paul wrote 1 Timothy. The, the, the situation in Ephesus was such that Paul um, had established a church there for at least three years, he'd been spending time with this church, establishing and ensuring that its foundations were strong. And the feelings that had come between him and the people were obvious. Love just permeated their relationship. Look what it says here in Acts. Um, in, uh, no, I didn't put it down. Um, in Acts, this is what maybe you could turn to it. Acts 20 and verse 36 to 38. Acts 20 and verse 36 to 38. This shows you a little bit about the kind of relationship that Paul had with the people in Ephesus. Acts 20 and verses 36 to 38. It says, When he said this, he knelt down with all of them, And they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Here's Paul saying goodbye to the church in Ephesus and saying, I'm going to Rome. I feel like this is not going to be, it's going to be the end. See you later. And they're weeping and they're crying because of who Paul is. And do you know what else in this passage, in this chapter, is of very interest, of great interest? The church had been established, and Paul had really shown his love for them, but he said this prophecy about what would happen in the future. Look what, what it says in Acts 20 and verses 29 to 31. It says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you, and will not spare the flock, even from your own number. And we talked about the fact that in, in Ephesians, in, in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, it seemed like elders were some of these false teachers. But even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard, Paul says. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you, night and day, with tears. So Paul begins with these words in this passage today to Timothy. He says, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, and it seems that the setting of the book was Paul had left the church in Ephesus, gone on to Rome, and had spent two years in house arrest in Rome where the book of Acts finishes. And then it seems that he was, he was thinking that his, either his death or release would come soon. And so it seems that he was released from prison. 
and actually came back to Ephesus after going to Crete with Timothy. And then he left Timothy there because of the terrible situation the church in Ephesus was in and because of the false teachers. And he kept going on his way to Macedonia. And so here he says, as I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus. Stay there. Why? This is the purpose of the book. This is key information here. So that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. So it seems that these false teachers had begun to teach false doctrines. And the alarm and the urgency is that, that Paul feels within this is that he urges Timothy. He urges Timothy not just to sit down and have a nice little chat with the false teachers, but look what he says there. The word is command, I, I, that you may command certain men. Remember, Paul opened this book by saying, you know, I'm an apostle by the command of God. And here he's saying, now I want you to command certain men. He's talking about his authority as an apostle. Now, Timothy, you, I want you to stand strong and command these men not to teach false doctrines. It seems that if there were false teachers and in the book it talks about elders as being teachers who handle God's word well, it seems that it's very likely that these teachers were elders in the church. Drastic times call for drastic responses and these times can get people off the main thing. They can cause people to start focusing on anything else but loving God and loving one another. And look what it actually says. What were the teachings? So it says here that the teachings were they were devoting themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Now we'd love to know uh, at this point if Paul would just explain for us exactly what the false teaching was, but he doesn't. So we've got things like here that say, say that they were devoting themselves to myths and devoting themselves to genealogies. Long lists of, uh, you know, this person came from this person and this one was born of that one. And, you know, maybe it's talking about some of the uh, people were looking back at Genesis and some of the genealogies and saying, well, because of this and telling mythical stories about what had happened to kind of, you know, show some... Uh, historic genealogy that meant that they could act in a certain way or do certain things. We're not so clear in here. Some people say that this was uh, Jewish, you know, like uh, Judaism, uh, legalistic things, but it's not like it is in Galatians, like a, you know, legalism about the law. It's not like that. Um, and it's not really either a Gnostic one where people had all this special knowledge that came in later time, in the, in the first century, uh, second century. And it seems like this, the, neither of these are true, but it seems to be a combination of the beginnings of both here in Ephesus. But it's clear of the reason why Paul wants Timothy to command him to stop these, thing, these false teachers. Why? Because what they were teaching... The things that they were teaching led to confusion, to controversies, 
rather than God's work. So it seemed that what they were teaching was leading to confusion, to controversies, to division, which is the complete opposite of what God's work would lead to. True teaching, sound teaching, healthy doctrine leads not to division and controversies, but to unity and love for God and love for one another. So Timothy here seems to be saying that if you deal strongly with the false teachers, if you stop them, you'll be able to go back to your main goal. And just in case we were thinking that, look what he says in 1 Timothy 1, 5 to 7. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The reason you should deal with false teachers, Timothy, is because we want people to love and to love God and to love others. And the more we let that go, the more there'll be controversies, decision, uh, sorry, division, uh, meaningless talk and, and all these things that lead to unhealth and will stop people growing in Christ. He says the goal of this is a pure heart, a love which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience and sincere faith. And then he says, sadly, some people have actually wandered away from these things. They've actually started to just give all their time and all their energy to meaningless talk. And, you know, these people, they want to be teachers of the law. They want to be the ones that are telling everyone what to do and telling everyone how to live. But they don't know. They don't know what they're talking about, Paul says. And they don't know the things that they so confidently, and the word there is kind of like arrogantly, like pompously. They don't actually even know what they're talking about or what they so proudly affirm. Here a a sad thing is people wanting to be teachers of the law, people putting themselves forward proudly and arrogantly and then teaching things which are not the true gospel, are not sound teaching. And it was causing division. And Paul is saying, you've got to deal with it. You've got to deal with it. You've got to deal with it. So in verses 8 to 11, Paul sort of says to them, there's a right way to use the law and a wrong way to use the law. The false teachers seem to be using the law to kind of go back and find all these things like genealogies and where people came from and reading into it myths and stories about where it all came from and confusing people's minds. He's saying that's not the purpose of the law at all. The purpose of the law is this. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous but for lawbreakers, and rebels, the ungodly and the sinful. Any sinful people here at all today? Yes. Yeah. The unholy and the irreligious for those who kill their fathers or mothers. Hopefully there's not many of you here today. If you kill your pastors, that's a big deal. 
for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, perjurers, and for, those, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. What Paul's saying is, we know that the law is good and we know that the law is made not for the righteous, not for the proud teachers who think they don't need to know the law, you know, the ones that aren't sinful or the ones that don't think they're sinful and they're unholy and ungodly. The law is actually for those who will recognise their sin and understand the way God says that we've all fallen short and that we would come because of the law humbly and broken and in desperate need before God. And then we would see that when we come like that and receive the glorious gospel of a blessed God which says that though we are sinful, though we are far from God, though we are unholy and though we have found ourselves irreligious and in so many ways we have been people who have acted wrongly, God sent his son, Jesus, to die in our place so that we might be forgiven and be set free. This is glorious gospel. This is great news. This is not a reason for endless genealogies. This is not a reason for disputes or discussions. It should lead us to incredible sense of overwhelmingness that God would love us enough to send his son. That God would love us enough to die for us. And that should lead us to love others, not argue with them. That should lead us to love others and serve them and value them. I think this morning, if you're wondering, uh, what's the most important thing? If there's just something I want you to be able to take away from today, it's this. When it comes to our lives, your life, my life, the goal is love which is the natural outworking of a correct handling of God's word. How can you know when false teaching is going on? When someone's handling God's word and throwing it out at you and it's causing division, hatred, disunity, endless controversies and when it's, it's being destructive. God's word is challenging. I'm not saying that. But when God's word is rightly taught, it should lead us to deep conviction, which leads us to Christ and leads us to greater love for God and greater love for one another. Let me say that again. When it comes to our lives, the goal is love which is a natural outworking of correctly handling God's word. Why is it important to know that? And because if you don't know that, you're in great danger of ending up spending hours and hours over meaningless talk, uh, trying to pick the eyes out of something and 
dotting the things on here or arguing over this issue and another issue and you can end, find, up, find yourself just discussing and discussing and debating and, but not growing any deeper in love. Our vision as a, as a church is that you would not spend hours discussing, debating controversies, but that you would grow closer and closer to Jesus Christ, that you would be Christ-centred, that you would surrender your life to him so that you would not only sprout, but you would also bear fruit, that you would flower and flourish and in the end be someone who's regularly bearing fruit in your life. Is our church growing? Well, are, you, are we loving each other more? That's the question. Are we loving God more? And is that coming out of great dependence on his word in our life? So what do we got to do? Stop the false teachers. If you see false teaching happening, stop it. I think it's crucial. I can't say it any stronger. Paul uses words like, I urge, I command, I, I tell you this. You know, Timothy, stop the false teachers. How can you? Well, you've got to know God's word. You've got to know God's word. You know, one of our key values is that we're a biblically-based church. So whatever you do, if this is your church, don't leave this on the bookshelf. Pick it up. Read it. Continue to read it. Let, let your mind be shaped by God's word. And when you're in your Bible studies, if you find that your Bible study or your small group is endlessly discussing and debating issues which are leading to division and controversy within the group and getting people more and more upset, then say, has anyone read 1 Timothy, you know, chapter 1, verses 3 to 11? Because I think what that's saying is we should be trying to build each other up. There are endless things we could debate, couldn't we? you once saved, always saved. Are we? What do you think? Can you lose your salvation? What about those people in far-off lands who'd never get to hear the gospel. Will they be saved or won't they be saved? What about the second coming? Is it pre-millennial, post-millennial, or is it amillennial? I mean, <laughs> let's have endless discussions and debates about this together. I mean, what about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how we can use them? Let, let's, get, let's get really involved in lots of discussion and debates. Now, look, there's healthy places. I'm not just saying that doctrine, uh, of course, the whole passage is saying that doctrine is important. And spending time on side issues and making them controversial and places where we either accept people or reject people on the basis of those can lead completely away from what the goal of the glorious gospel is. We can make a, a glorious gospel into something which is just something to discuss and argue and debate. I was at AMP when I was working there and I met a girl, uh, Christine, and uh, she was a Greek girl and uh, we worked right next to each other for some time and 
I, I was a Christian uh, then and, and we talked and it came out to me that she was very, very concerned about the second coming. She had, uh, num- knew all about the number of the beast. She knew about the fact that we would have to start you know, planting f- our own food because when you get the number of the beast, you know, and she was filled with a fear. And I, after a while of just hearing all about you know, what's going to happen in the end times and how you know, those who have faith are going to be saved and those that aren't, I said, do you know anything about Jesus? And she didn't. She didn't. I thought, how fascinating that someone could know. And yet, what often when a small group forms, we say, let's do revelation, you know. <laughs> or let's do something about spiritual warfare, you know. And, and these things, I'm not, I'm not at all, you know, all scripture is God-breathed and useful. But to get caught up in things that are destructive and spending a lot of time and debate and discussion, be very, very careful, church. And especially when you're pompous about it, you know, like these false teachers were, you know, saying, I know this, I know that. (coughs) Another thing that we can sometimes do, which I think is really dangerous for us when it comes to thinking that the goal is love and this kind of love flows out of a correct handling of God's word, is that we can sometimes, in our world, which is so biblically illiterate, um, sort of half follow this and half follow... We don't really even know what it is, but maybe it's a secular kind of way of thinking or maybe it's a new-agey kind of way of thinking. You know, maybe a secular is sort of saying that the gospel is something that I can believe and it's true for me but I don't have the right to actually share it with anyone else because what they believe is true for them. You know, like a relativism, which sort of says that we can all have our own beliefs, but no, nothing's really true. And we can kind of keep quiet or keep ashamed or keep sort of saying we really believe Jesus and believe he's your son of God, but I'd never share that with someone else. And I think often what's feeding that is not the Bible, but this kind of um, kind of tolerance, which is a real key sort of word in our world today, which says you know, we should just all tolerate each other. And of course we should love each other, but just not accept that what other people believe is true, as true as ours is true. You can't believe in Jesus and believe that there are many ways to God. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. I think sometimes what we tend to do uh, today when it comes to the false teachers amongst us is, is sometimes our own selves can be taking on kind of things from the media, from television, from all around, and we kind of add it to God's word. Why would we be vulnerable to this? Because we kind of come once a week and get our Bible on Sunday from Jonathan and Gail, and we don't actually read it regularly. And so we're vulnerable because we're watching TV just about every day and we're talking with people every day and the things that start to shape us are other things than God and his word and the promptings of his spirit. Church, I think more than ever, we need to take Paul's words to Timothy and say, whatever we do, be on our guard, 
I want you to check me with God's word when I'm preaching it. I'd love you to, you know, to say, hey, I don't, if I'm missing the main thing and if I'm getting all caught up on side issues, could, you know, I really want to know that. And you and your small groups, you know, think, are we spending too long debating and discussing? You and your quiet times, are you chasing down things that are really leading nowhere? And as you live, ask yourself this question, am I being fed on God's word and God's truth and his truth alone? Or am I taking in kind of this kind of thing that says, there's a number of different things that I can believe and I'll take this from the Bible and I'll take this from, you know, know, my stars or Oprah or some other kind of secular thing that says all things we're all equally entitled to, you know. Hey, may you go this week and as we finish, may you know where your eyes are fixed and where you are seeking to find your truth. Because when it comes to our lives, whether you're a Christian or not this morning, the goal of our lives from God's perspective is to love him and to love others, which is a natural outworking of knowing the gospel, the glorious gospel that God sent his son to die, to take your sins and to empower you to live the kind of life that he made you for. Why don't we stand now as we come to sing?